high above historic Belfont, and still in the smack dab center of the Keystone State, this is Lou Bryson with Seen Through a Glass, the podcast that's mostly about food and drink in central Pennsylvania. Welcome to episode 24, Coffee. October 1st, or maybe September 29th, depending on who's laying it down, was International Coffee Day, and September 30th was International Podcast Day. So it seemed like a good time to do a story I've been planning to get to since before the pilot dropped last fall. And it is such a great story. Coffee is both completely mundane, the cup of go juice you have almost without thinking in the morning, a bag of beans you grab off the shelf at the grocery, and also richly romantic, grown in exotic locations, each with their own flavor and mystique, and locked into fascinating cultures. There's the concentrated wallop of Turkish coffee, the intimate sophistication of a shared cappuccino in Rome, the electric buzz of a Pacific Northwest coffee shop, the sensual syrup of Vietnamese coffee. Coffee's also a huge business. It's the second most traded commodity in the world after petroleum. Coffee may be an international business of huge proportions, but because of how it's grown and then only partially processed before shipping to a roaster, it can still be very local. One of the big surprises when we moved to Central PA was just how many coffee roasters there were and independent coffee shops that use locally roasted coffees. For instance, here in Belfont, there are three local coffee shops, Bonfado's, My Cafe Buzz, The Coffee House, and No Starbucks. There is a Dunkin', but it's well out of town. I was just at the pump station in Bowlesburg this morning. More on that later. And roasters? My master list for the show has 22 coffee roasters in Central PA, and I'm sure I'm missing a few. I've only been to nine of them. I've got some work to do. So we're going to talk about coffee, about roasting and grinding and keeping it fresh, about the best ways to make it. Then we'll talk about buying beans versus ground. We'll even talk about pumpkin spice lattes. We're going to get to all of that. But first, here's what I'm drinking today. Ah. What I'm drinking today is Stone's 27th anniversary Lemon Shark Double IPA, which has absolutely nothing to do with coffee. It's just that I got the sample this week, so I wanted to do it. And you can still find it in your beer store. So here's what those merry folk at Stone Brewing had to say about this one. This double IPA is brewed with peacherine and rewaka hops, along with a special ingredient called Phantasm, an extract from Sauvignon Blanc grape skins, all sourced from New Zealand. Combined with some good old-fashioned mosaic hops from the U.S. and an amped-up grain bill, then we've got ourselves a unique sensory experience full of dankness and tropical citrusy notes, coming in at a smooth 9.6% in honor of the year we started, 1996. Well, fair enough. Let's try it. Oh, wow, there's a... There's citrus and some... Tropical, exotic fruit, maybe a little passion fruity, but there's also a um, like an oiliness, almost like uh wow. <laughs> this is gonna sound weird, but in the same way that cat pee is not always a bad descriptor for hops, this smells a little bit like lighter fluid, but in a really good way, like an intriguing way. Mm. Wow, this scent's got me going. I gotta try this. Oh boy, that's good. Um, 
I'll tell you one thing right off the bat, it hides that 9.6% dangerously well. This drinks like maybe a 7% beer. That, uh, okay, I'll say it, that lighter fluid thing is there right on the edge, and it's um, it actually balances the sweetness of the uh, of the citrus and the, um, the the passion fruit. This is <laughs> this is what I I remember. There was a beer I used to drink um, that I said was dynamically balanced. This was back in the uh, late eighties. Um, it was a really big beer, but it had a whole lot of hop. But because it was so big the hop wasn't overpowering so everything was just kind of teetering but moving along almost like um picture andre the giant on a tightrope that's what this beer reminds me of it's it's as if everything is there but being held in check by something the size of a like the thickness of a balloon and it's just waiting to pop in your mouth and it and it really does this is good i like this um at 9.6 i'm not sure how many of them i'd want to like in a row but it's a good beer. Get out there and try it. Stone 27th Anniversary Lemon Shark Double IPA. Let's get back to coffee. I didn't drink coffee at all until I got engaged at the age of 29. See, Kathy's family were habitual, enthusiastic coffee drinkers. I remember going out with her dad one morning when we were staying with family in western New York. And there was inexplicably no coffee in the house. I mean, there was instant, but Kurt was not having any of that. We drove for almost an hour before we finally found a place that was open that early on a snowy Sunday morning. And he was much better after half a cup. I realized I was going to have to start drinking coffee out of self-defense. But it was actually Kathy's brother, Chris, who introduced me to the wider world of coffee. I can still recall the moment. We were getting ready to go out for a day of sightseeing in the Hudson Valley, and he was making coffee with fresh ground beans. The whole family did fresh ground beans. We still use the little Krupp's grinder Kathy had when we started dating. Chris poured himself a cup and smacked his lips after the first sip. I like this. It's Kenya Double A. Try it. It was an eye-opener, and not just in the basic wow rush of caffeine way. The aroma was bright and zesty. The flavor was electric. It was like trying my first IPA. These days, I gravitate to the Weiwetanango, Honduran, or Sumatra beans, but I still like the bright flavors of Kenya AA and Ethiopian Urgachev. I continued to expand my coffee knowledge, and eventually, I wound up at a coffee plantation in the coffee capital of Mexico, a town called Coatepec. I was there on a Kahlua press junket, and it was one of the best press trips I've ever been on in terms of learning things. One of the things I learned was that while Mexico is only the eighth largest coffee producer in the world, it is the largest producer of coffee from independent, small-holding farms, which is kind of cool. The plantation I visited was part of the coffee museum, a working coffee roaster as well. We hiked out into the plantation, an old-style wild farm, with the bushes planted under trees in a natural profusion. It was cool and clear, and we could see snow-capped volcanic mountains across a valley full of sugarcane fields. As our guide told us, Coatepec is just like any American farm town, except instead of corn or potatoes, they grow coffee and cane. So here's what I learned about coffee on that trip. It's taken from a piece I wrote for Massachusetts Beverage Business Magazine back in 2011. 
Coffee bushes are planted in a nursery and then replanted after three years in the shade of other trees, often citrus trees. They don't produce coffee berries until the fifth year. A bush will produce berries for 40 years, around 16 to 22 pounds of berries a year. Five pounds of berries yields about a pound of roasted beans. The bush produces flowers in March and April, a small white flower with a pleasant citrus aroma. The berries grow from the flowers, green at first, then turning red toward harvest time in November through January. You have to be careful with the picking. Any green berries in the roast will make the whole batch taste like peanuts. This red cherry has a sweet smell, and the slippery flesh around the two beans in each one smells like pomegranate. The flesh is removed by machine, as is a papery second skin from each bean, and then the beans are roasted, or sacked green for shipping. The single-source coffees you buy, like Coatepec or Kona or Tanzanian Peaberry, are all Arabica beans. Arabica is considered a finer coffee than the other major type, Robusta. Robusta is used in blends and some espresso roasts. It has more caffeine per bean. There are people who are starting to reevaluate the judgment that Arabica is always the better bean, but for now, good coffee means Arabica beans. The problem is that Arabica bushes are picky. They only grow in shade between 900 and 1200 meters above sea level, Coatepec's 1050 meters, and in climates where they get six to seven months of rain. Much like wine, the soil, the weather, the altitude are all important to the flavor of the roasted bean. And the roasting, of course, is a whole other thing. It's an art, although science has improved it. For instance, roasters used to slow roast the beans for an hour, and intuitively you'd think that was somehow better, but it turns out that higher temperatures and faster roasting makes for better tasting coffee. The slow roasting often carbonized the bean, giving a bitter ashiness. Now, I've been to several coffee roasting operations, one village and the old Bucks County Coffee in southeastern PA, Intelligentsia Coffee in Chicago, and the big roasting operation at the Kahlua plant in Mexico City. And the smell is interesting. It's not exactly what you'd expect. It's not like brewing coffee. There's a more burnt, bitter edge to it. I guess that's why they tell you to let truly fresh roasted coffee, the stuff that's right out of the roaster, sit for a day to outgas. That's the kind of detail I picked up by talking to Bill Clark at the cheese shop in State College. He was in the middle of a roast when I came to interview him. He was sitting by the small roaster at the front of the shop, one eye on the clock, one eye on the beans, checking them frequently as the beans approached the second crack. During roasting, there's a first crack when the water in the beans goes to steam and they pop like popcorn. The second crack is caused by carbon dioxide formation some minutes later, and it's a quicker, sharper crack and it indicates the beans are about done. We chatted, but he was clearly paying more attention to the beans, as he should, pulling out samples every 10 seconds or so. So I shut up and let him work. When he was done, we sat down in the shop and did the interview. You'll hear a fair amount of the busy background conversation. Bill's been roasting coffee in State College for decades, way ahead of the small roaster trend that swept the country, and he had some great insights. Enjoy. Hey, I'm here with uh, Bill Clark. We're at the Cheese Shop in State College. Uh, we're going to talk about coffee. Yes, I'm ready. Okay, all right. Um, so, from the beginning, when when did you start, and and why did you start? Uh, I opened the store over 47 years ago. I sold cheese, gourmet, 
coffee oh, somebody okay. else roasted. Oh, good. Oh, okay. okay. And uh, I tried several Thank different you. companies, California companies, East Coast companies, and several things happened in the next few years out of my control. And I, I was going down the poop chutes. And uh, I researched for two years to find what would fit in the store that would go with what I carried. And I came up with coffee. Starbucks wasn't even to, they were still a catalog. Yeah. And uh, everybody went, really? I got to try. I borrowed a bar of money. I opened, uh, I bought a, a roaster. And uh, I thought I dro- drug my feet a little because it took me uh, a long, long time to make my decision. And I uh, went to uh, New York to a coffee roaster, the same type of roaster, and they showed me oh, and explained okay. things. Uh-huh. Um, I came back. And my accountant at that time looked down, saw my coffee roaster. said, what's that? I said, it's a coffee roaster. Bad idea. (laughs) Bad idea. It was over 35 years ago. Um, (laughs) And uh, it was trial and error in the beginning. And I just hung with it. And I, I worked... From 3.30 in the morning till 6 at night by myself. I stopped roasting at 9 to allow people to walk by. And uh, eventually, I was able to have help during the week. It started to catch on. Mm-hmm. And it's been slow, but uh, it caught on. And we mail all over the country. So uh, the uh, pandemic actually helped. Oh, yeah. A lot of people staying home and drinking. Yeah. So we'd mail, and some of them are funny. One guy called me and said uh, he had my Sumatran. And he goes, you know, I travel all over the world, and I, whatever he did. He said, "Uh, it's the best coffee I've ever had. And I get embarrassed. I do get embarrassed. Sure. Uh, But it's nice to hear. So I said, uh, well, thank you. He said, do you always have it? I said, yeah, I always have it. He said, well, I'm a, you're not going to run out, are you? I said, no. <laughs> and he was calling from Arizona or New Mexico, whatever. He said, can you send me 10 pounds? I said, is it for your use? He said, yeah. I said, you don't want to do that. I said, just order two pounds, three pounds. And uh, he said, but, but I don't, I want to make sure I always have it. I can always get it. You can. Yeah. And uh, so he settled for that. He still orders. And there was a doctor in uh, Colorado. So the reason you were saying two pounds is better to keep it fresh? Is that You want it fresh. Yeah. You know, people, and you hear pros and cons, the freezer. You put it in the freezer, your freezer defrosts. Yeah. So you have temperature changes. It affects the coffee. Uh so airtight, air's uh, an enemy, and water's an enemy. Okay. So as long as you keep it airtight and not a lot of light, you're good. So in the cupboard in a bag is is as good. Yeah, you buy a pound or two. That's fine. Yeah. Uh, it's a, it's a small place, but it's clearly 
<laughs> I mean, people are regulars, you know people's names, they come in here always. You don't see computers on anymore. <laughs> no. It's always talking. Like an Irish pub, there's always, it's about yeah. talking. Yeah, it's just in the morning. Yeah. <laughs> it gets loud. <laughs> so, um, how, how many days a week do you roast? Six days a week. And can you just walk us through a typical day? Of okay. roasting. I don't know about I don't want to know about the rest of it. No, I don't blame you. I don't <laughs> either sometimes. Uh, <laughs> but I warm the machine up. I warm it up slowly because you know, you go from really cold and if you crank the heat, in my opinion, chances of warping oh. the metal. Uh-huh. Um, and is, what is that gas? It's uh, natural gas. Uh-huh. So I roast it up slowly for at least an hour. And then when I'm ready, and I have, there's help here because I really don't want to leave it. Yeah. And uh, I then pick which coffees they need first. And uh, I start my roasting. And uh, it's about an hour, give or take, for each roast. Okay. Um, so I'll pick it out and I will get my temperatures correct and I start my roasting and I don't leave the machine unless I have to go do something. Sure. Uh, yeah, I mean, when I came in, you were sitting on your stool right there by the machine you're roasting. And yeah, it was, it just started. So you got to see how it changed. Yeah. Uh, each bean's different. Uh, you know, too much rain, bean will roast differently. Uh, too much moisture in it. Or not enough rain, it tends to be a little drier. Or was it uh, washed? Or was it uh, air-dried? Oh, the, the cherries, After they the picked beans. the cherries. Yeah. And that affects it. Um, so... Depending what I what it is, I play with the temperatures at certain points to get the right results because you can scorch it or burn it fairly easily. Or the one person I talked to Rose, I said, "Don't leave the machine, especially when it hits this point." And I said, "It can change when you're at a certain point like this." And he says to me. I went away for the day. When I came back, he said, holy shit, you're right. <laughs> wow. He said, uh, I, 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 it was only someone asked me a question. I answered them. And when I turned around, I, the temperature had gotten uh-huh. up. So uh, I said, okay, now you learn. <laughs> Try to learn that lesson once. And we do 25 pounds at a, at a pop. Uh, I'd rather run out and have you come back the next day than have too much stockpile. I don't want it to stockpile. You don't want it sitting. Because it's got a decaf, so when you take it out... Yeah, tell me about that. I've heard people talking about that. Yeah, it has to degas. If A lot of times, if it doesn't degas, for instance, those pouches that have the little... The little valve thing? Yeah. Yeah. Mm, wow. Well, that's more or less also the gas. Okay. Because you notice they're not 
square. Oh, they're a little, they're a little bulgy. Uh, when I've had those coffees, in my opinion, uh, it's like they just shot their their load. It's you opened it up and it was like wow, but the next day it doesn't have that yeah. smell, and the next day, so. I, I advise people what you're going to use in a week, and uh, we don't have the vacuum packed or anything. Uh, it's gonna, it's gonna break down, no matter what it is. It's gonna break down. Yeah. Uh, maybe it's slower with the vacuum pack or the brick pack, or, um, but I'd rather you. I mean, it sounds like the real solution to freshness is drink it. Yes, yeah. and uh, I mean it was discovered by accident. Goats were going right. nuts; they were eating the cherries, and uh, it started in uh, Yemen or Ethiopia. You know, mm-hmm. there's a debate, and I think it was against the law if you you couldn't take the beans out. Oh, oh wow! Unless maybe they're roasted, but you couldn't take them out. Yeah. They were smuggled out, and they went, depending on who was controlling the, you know, uh, Indonesia, so the Dutch. Oh, right. And then uh, then it smuggled. There's a lot of smuggling and mystery, and uh, India was the second place to have it. And uh, in, Indian coffee is a completely different taste. It has different nuances it has because they keep it for a year after they've washed it and then when they would ship it they would ship it on wooden ships right seawater sometimes would get in you know so that affected yeah but people like that effect so it's a very different coffee slow and acid monsoon yes monsoon malabar yeah okay uh yeah Tropic of Cancer, Tropic of Capricorn. That's it. Uh-huh. In between. Yep. If you you can grow Robusto beans anywhere, but Robusto beans are used more in blends mm-hmm. and or espresso blends. Uh, because it's it's not the same quality as the Arabica. And in fact it's funny, I would watch people coffee became more popular. Mm-hmm. Oh, is this Syrabica bean? Yes, it is. That's all I use. Oh, okay. Good, good, good. And the I established a good relationship with several importers. And I told them straight up, I want the best coffee you have. The best Colombian. The best Brazilian. The best... And... They would say, like, when I was ready for another order, I just went up. I said, I asked for the best. Um, So they don't really quote me prices. They just go, you know, okay. That's Because if you start off garbage, you end up with garbage. Sorry. You can't make it better. You can make more profit, maybe. So they know and they laugh. (laughs) But, I mean, you don't seem to have a problem selling it. No, the more people that drink it. I tell people, if I can get you for three cups, I got you. <laughs> <laughs> we did talk about this a little bit. The um, 
What, how much effect does the, the soil, the latitude, the altitude? It's, well, I think the highest point is maybe 9,000 feet. Okay. And that might be Ecuador, I believe. I believe. Uh, and it also depends on, the, the soil is very important, of course. But if it's grown in South and Central America, if it's grown on the Pacific side, Oh, the same mountain. It tastes different. It has different nuances than if it's grown on the Atlantic side. Uh huh. And just that simple, whatever the distance might be, yeah. because the shade, the sun, the the you know, you don't want it to go below fifty. It affects the trees. Uh, if it goes above eighty, it can affect the tree, which all affect the coffee. Yeah. And the better places have they're hand picked, the cherries, mm -hmm. and some big places they're just shaken. Oh, they just shake the tree and yeah, with a machine or wow. whatever. And <laughs> the country that imports the best coffee in the world is Germany. Oh, to this day. Uh huh. I had a friend that went to the read about this uh, plantation in in Colombia. It was way in the boonies. You had to take. You know, a plane, and you had to take a dugout or a boat, motorboat or whatever. Uh, and it was really hard to get to. And they got there, and it's all this modern equipment. And they said, What's going on? The Germans. German technique. <laughs> they, they, they buy, you know. Wow. So, uh, yeah, they're very, very particular. They are that. So, yeah. Mentioned to you, I read about whiskey. I read about single malt scotch a lot, and single malts have kind of put blends in the shadow. Is that how it is with coffee? Because I, I see a lot of uh, single bean coffees anymore, and not so many blends. Blends uh, can some blends can help the uh, the taste of coffee. Uh, if it's a bad crop, you know. You put a little more of one coffee in and maybe it brightens it up a bit. Okay. But for instance, I would I would bet there if it's one percent of mocha java, that's a lot because they can't get the mocha, which is oh uh Yemen. They can't get the coffee out. Oh, they can't get it now for the sure. Good yeah. coffee. Yeah. And uh but people don't want to blend that. It's usually expensive. They don't want to blend that with, of course, Java, which is from Indonesia. Um, but you learn about third world country. Oh, there's a revolution. Oh, the government was just thrown over. Oh, so you you become very yeah. attuned with uh, what's going on in I third guess. world countries. There's a, I mean, when you first started out, you were, well, you had to be one of the the only coffee roasters in miles. I was, well, I was with a hand handful of coffee roasters on the East Coast. Yeah, and now there's. I mean, I I don't know. I just did a rough count. I got 15 just in Central Pennsylvania. What happened? Why did people? I mean, when I opened up, students would walk by with 64 ounce sodas in the morning. Yeah, and it was all soda. And uh, eventually, it's funny, but it, people became more aware. Wow, it's not Maxwell House. It's not Eubank. It's not, mm. wow, this is good. 
Now, I, my father always drank instant coffee, so I uh, could never convince him. That, but, and it, the culture changed. Starbucks had a lot to do with it, although they've bastardized a lot of coffee. But that helped push it. Plus, people traveled more. Mm-hmm. Um, and when they travel, oh, wow, this is good. And they stopped putting tons of sugar in. They stopped putting tons of... This one woman came in one time, football, home home game. Fur coat and everything came in with some gentlemen. Oh, and I asked, dark or light roast? Oh, dark. Okay, and I told her which ones. She got them. Oh, do you have uh, cream? I said, no, I don't. Half and half? No, I don't. Well, if I would have known that, I wouldn't have gotten the coffee. And the gentleman she was with, they kind of laughed. I said, well, and she said, I've been drinking it with cream before you were born. I said, well, darling, I was born in 1944. They all laughed. And she said, well, maybe not. (laughs) But they changed the whole... The complexity of the coffee, yeah. all the nuances, it just hides it. So, uh, for years, people would go people in the sink, tell them you want half and half, tell them you want three. And I'd go, I knew what they were doing, so I'd flip out a little bit. But eventually, they learned to drink it black. Uh huh. Wow. Yeah, wow, there are a lot of There's a lot things going on. going on. Yeah. You know, it's like good whiskey. Wow, right. this is going on. Yeah, if you just do a shot or you just do a whiskey and ginger ale, yeah, you're missing it. No. Yeah. Um, one more question, and we again, we've kind of touched on this a little. Tips for making a better cup of coffee at home? Well, the biggest mistake people make is water temperature. Oh, okay. Water temperature is very important. 192 degrees when it hits the beans. 192. Uh, that's that's perfect. Perfect, right. right. And then as it comes out, it ends up being about 160. Oh, okay. Uh, but as most of the home brew, home brewers are not that temperature, so the extraction isn't is complete. Correct. Wow. They don't get everything out. Uh, I use a French press at home. You can control the water. Six minutes. Okay. And then I. Oh, six minutes and then plunge. I mean, that's how, generally speaking, is the the time. Okay. Uh, Some people use four, some people use five. It depends on how how you like it. But I do six. And and I think they say six is the ideal. Okay. Um, But water temperature. Water temperature. Okay. Is a big. And the biggest. And grind. Is it better if you grind at home or get a ground? Or? Well, you want to grind it as close to when you're going to use it. As okay. You, you know, uh, although this is so fresh, it will last a decent oh, okay. length of time. If you're getting into that, just but pick But you it don't up here. know what it, how old it yeah. is in stores, etc. Yeah. Uh, so I can tell you, oh, yeah, I roasted that this morning. Okay. <laughs> Or I roasted that yesterday. Some people are so spoiled. What do you have in the roaster? And I go, you really don't want this. You take it home, you open your bag for about 
eight hours to let it degas. Oh, okay. But now they're really spoiled. Yeah. Yeah. But it's 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 the water temperature is and most most electrics don't hit that. Temperature. Yeah. Yeah. And or they're slow in extraction. Uh, but how you like? There are people that love perk, and I go, that's cooking the beans. You don't want perk. You get too many bad things. Yeah. Too much acid. Too much of, of bitter tasting. Uh, oh no, I love that smell, and it does have a nice smell. It does have a nice smell. That's all I got today. Thank you. Oh, we could have some Jameson, so we can go on for hours. <laughs> we can go on for a while. <laughs> I want to repeat some of what Bill said about brewing your best cup of coffee at home. First, you don't have to store the beans or ground coffee in the freezer. You want an airtight container with no moisture and no light, so keeping it in the cupboard is fine. The water temperature, 192 degrees. Now that sounds crazy precise, but you won't have to measure it every time. Put your water on the burner or microwave it or whatever you do to heat it, and use an instant read thermometer to check it till you get to 192 degrees. I use the ThermoWorks POP2 thermometer, and if you're gonna be cooking anything serious, you should get one too. It's a very reasonable price for a very good thermometer. Once you've done that four or five times, you'll know how long it takes, and more importantly, what the water looks like when it hits that temperature. And you can hit that pretty accurately by eye and memory. Bill uses a French press to make his coffee. That gives him complete control over the water temperature and the steep time, how long the water is extracting from the coffee. Control means a cup that's more like you like it. And he really doesn't like percolators in case you missed that. Freshness counts on grinding. If you have your beans ground at the shop, that's good. If you grind them at home like we do, that's even fresher. I don't think we've bought pre-ground coffee in over 10 years. If your supermarket is cutting back on the number of coffees they offer in whole bean, well, take that as a sign that you might need to find a local roaster. The Krupp's one-touch grinder that we use is about $22. If you want to get a burr grinder, Krupp's also has a very good one of those for $60. Our Krupp's one-touch is 40 years old, and it's still running like a champ. Much better coffee, with a minimal amount of gear, and within easy reach. We can do this. Wow, there's so much more to cover with coffee. I can see we're going to have to do another episode somewhere down the line. We didn't even touch on the Keurig debate, or flavored coffees, or all the different ways you can get coffee. Latte, cappuccino, Americano, cortado, espresso, ristretto, iced, cold brewed, and of course, coffee beers, and coffee liqueurs, and coffee-based cocktails. For now, I'd like to note a few of the great small roasters I've been to in central Pennsylvania. You've already heard me talk about visiting some of them, like Alabaster and Buzzsaw in Williamsport and Avenue 209 in Lock Haven. But I've also been to Third Wind in Sealands Grove, and I just stopped in at Aegis and Dubois two weeks ago. All of them were great, all of them brewing fresh roasted coffees, and I had a couple cappuccinos too. And by the way, if anyone knows someone at Fresh Roasted Coffee in Sunbury, please give me a holler. I'd love to get them on the show. Those guys got me through the pandemic. Driving an hour to Sunbury to pick up coffee once a month kept me from going stir-crazy. Now you might be wondering, it's October. Is he going to talk about pumpkin spice lattes? Well, truth be told, I'd never had one. Not once. I'm a fan of pumpkin pie, though, and I don't mind a good heavy pumpkin beer, 
which are mostly pumpkin spice beers. So earlier today, I went over to the pump station in Bullsburg and got one. Well, I did not care for it. It smelled nice and it looked good, but I had two sips and called it a day. It's not really surprising. The only thing I ever put in coffee is milk. I don't like flavors or sugar in coffee, and these have a lot of both. The coffee kept me from enjoying the pumpkin spice. The pumpkin spice kept me from enjoying the coffee. Now, I have absolutely no issues with people who do like these or any angry, that's not coffee issues with the whole concept. Like sweet wine, like milkshake IPAs, like putting hot sauce on everything. If that's what you like, have at it. And I mean that sincerely. I'm not here to judge you or judge what you like. I will judge what I like, though. One of these days, we're going to judge potato chips and Scrapple and Dark Ales, and maybe Texas Hots. But that's it for coffee, for now. I encourage you to find your local roasters, if you're lucky enough to have them, and patronize your local independent coffee shop, especially if they're brewing with Pennsylvania roasted fresh coffees. I did get to Goose Day in the Junietta River Valley this year. I only learned about it last year. The lore is that it goes back to 1786. That's right, 10 years after the Declaration of Independence, to a Pennsylvania Dutch landlord in the area who settled accounts with his English tenant, or maybe a rent collector, once a year, on September 29th. Why, the lore doesn't say. The Englishman showed up with the money due, and he had a fat goose under his arm. He told the Dutchman that it was an English tradition that it was good luck to eat goose on September 29th, Michaelmas Day, the feast day of St. Michael the Archangel. Eat goose on Michaelmas, he said, and you'll never want for money all year. They've been eating goose in the valley ever since, and in the 1970s, by assume in the fit of historical celebration around the bicentennial, Mifflin and Juniana counties added Goose Day to their calendar of holidays. Well, they do eat goose, a lot of it. I was told that around 100,000 geese are sold in the area for Goose Day every year. There's a festival in the center of Lewistown, Food and drink, crafts, live music, a lot of people, and goose statues everywhere. It's like a big block party. There were people with grills selling food off their front porch. It was quite festive. I rolled into Milroy about 3.45 after my volunteer shift prepping potato salad and sauerkraut for the Milheim Oktoberfest the next day. I got three of the last goose dinners available at the Honey Creek Inn. The young woman taking my order, the owner's daughter, told me that she and her mother had been there since 3.30 a.m., roasting and carving goose. You only get about four ounces of meat for each pound of goose, she said. There's a lot of bone and fat. Other people came in and said that they'd been to other places that were already goosed out. I mean, I get why you wouldn't want to have too much goose at a restaurant. Who's going to want a goose dinner the next day? After that, I went up to Shy Bear Brewing. They were having a goose chili, chili con ganso. It was awfully good with a marvelous heft to the liquid, the chili gravy. It could have been spicier, but I'm sure they know their clientele. Well, do you feel lucky? asked the bartender. I told her I felt exactly as lucky as I do when I have pork and sauerkraut on New Year's Day. I had a pint of their Oktoberfest, good, quite malty, and two tank samples of beers that weren't quite ready yet. Smoke Show, a smoked Baltic porter that was phenomenal, and a black IPA that was zippy and intense. Looking forward to both of those. In honor of the coffee episode, I also had a pint of their house cold brew to keep me going. I wound up Goose Day out at Hungry Run Distillery. 
another part of the lore is that Goose Day also includes eating blackberries, which was great because it meant that I could claim Goose Day and have one of their blackberry bourbon splash cocktails with two fat, juicy blackberries in it. Hungry Run does great garnishes, some of the best I've ever seen. Maybe the top moment of my Goose Day, though, came as I walked out of Hungry Run when the thing was over for me. I paused in the parking lot to look at the clouds touching the ridge in the setting sunlight, and I heard honking. A skein of Canada geese came flying up the valley, skirting the cloud line. There was my luck, and I felt it fill me. Happy Goose Day! Hey, the first anniversary of the podcast is coming up. Episode 26 will drop on November 2nd, which is Kathy's birthday, which would kind of be the end of season one if I did seasons, which I'm not sure we are or not. But I think I am going to take a one episode break after episode 27 on November 16th. The following week is Thanksgiving, of course, and the week after that, I have a lot of travel for my other show, What's Brewing PA with Glenn Macnow. So it's a good time to take a little break, especially because the house project is going to be wrapping up around then. And we'll be moving back to beautiful downtown Milheim, maybe breaking in the new kitchen, the basement bar, and my oh my, the new recording studio. So for now, I'm planning to skip the show that would have dropped on November 30th and come roaring back with the holiday show on December 14th. Wow, the holiday show. How do you top that Mad Elf interview we did last December? To tell the truth, I'm not really sure. But I can guarantee that Kathy and I will be talking about it on our drive to Colorado. Which, if everything went right, brought us into Denver last night. And I'm getting my big whiskey interview right about the time this episode drops. We're stopping in Kansas City for barbecue on the way home, and at the Great Century Bar in Dayton. So I'll have that to tell you about as well. We're going to the Hartzlog Day Heritage Festival in Alexandria, Pennsylvania on October 14th, and then taking our annual long weekend in Cape Charles, Virginia, and then a weekend in Lancaster at the Franklin and Marshall College reunions. There's a lot on our schedule, and some of it is sure to show up here. Should be fun. That's the show. Thanks to Bill Clark for the interview. Everyone said you'd be great to talk to, and they were right. We're on Instagram at Stag Podcast, and on Facebook at Seen Through a Glass, and available for download at Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and Podbean. Please consider subscribing, and if you like the show, please take a moment and drop a rating or review. Even better, tell your friends. Thanks. I do have a coffee button set up in my Instagram link tree, Twitter profile, both are at Lou Bryson, and at the Facebook page. If you like the show, rather than a paid subscription, this is an easy way to drop a few bucks to help keep this going. To pay for tips for bartenders, gas for the Subaru, and a couple of beers. And if you've already donated, thank you. Coffee grounds make excellent compost, which you then put in the ground. Hmm. The next episode I kind of already told you about, so we'll see you in two weeks. Until then, thanks for listening. This is Lou Bryson on Seen Through a Glass from the smack dab center of the Keystone State.